Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the Bible Podcast. Before we begin today, I wanted to start off today on a prayer uh, for everyone that is listening. Loving God, I pray that you will comfort everyone here in this, in their suffering. I pray that you lend skill to the hands of their healers and bless the means for their cure. Give them such confidence in the power of your grace and even when they are afraid that they may put their whole trust in you through our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so today we're going to be covering chapters. Sorry, let me go through this. See where we left off. We're going to be covering chapters 35 through 37 of Genesis. It's chapter 35, Jacob's return to Bethel. Then God said to Jacob, get ready and move to Bethel and settle there. Build an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob told everyone in his household, get rid of all your pagan idols, purify yourselves and put on clean clothing. We are now going to Bethel where I will build an altar to the God who answered my prayers when I was in distress. He has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all their pagan idols and earrings, and he buried them under the great tree near Shechem. As they set out, a terror from God spread over the people in the towns of the area, so no one attacked Jacob's family. Eventually, Jacob and his household arrived at Luz, also called Bethel, in Canaan. Jacob built an altar there and named the place El Bethel, which means God of Bethel, because God had appeared to him there when he was fleeing from his brother Esau. Soon after this, Rebekah's old nurse, Deborah, died. She was buried beneath the oak tree in the valley below Bethel. Ever since the tree has been called Alon Bakuth, which means Oak of Weeping. Now that Jacob had returned from Padanaram, God appeared to him again at Bethel. God blessed him, saying, Your name is Jacob, but you will not be called Jacob any longer. From now on, your name will be Israel. So God renamed him Israel. Then God said, I am El Shaddai. God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. You will become a great nation, even many nations. Kings will be among your descendants, and I will give you the land I once gave Abraham and Isaac. Yes, I will give it to you and your descendants after you. Then God went up from the place where he had spoken to Jacob. Jacob set up a stone pillar to mark the place where God had spoken to him. Then he poured wine over it as an offering to God and anointed the pillar with olive oil. And Jacob named the place Bethel, which means house of God, 
because God had spoken to him there. The deaths of Rachel and Isaac. Leaving Bethel, Jacob and his clan moved on toward Ephrath. But Rachel went into labor while they were still some distance away. Her labor pains were intense. After a very hard delivery, the midwife finally exclaimed, Don't be afraid. You have another son. Rachel was about to die, but with her last breath, she named the baby Benani, which means son of my sorrow. The baby's father, however, called him Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath. Jacob set up a stone monument over Rachel's grave, and it can be seen there to this day. Then Jacob traveled on and camped beyond Migdal Eder. While he was living there, Reuben had intercourse with Bilah, his father's concubine, and Jacob soon heard about it. These are the names of the twelve sons of Jacob. The sons of Leah were Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. The sons of Rachel were Joseph and Benjamin. The sons of Bilah, Rachel's servant, were Dan and Naphtali. The sons of Zilpah, Leah's servants, were God and Asher. These are the names of the sons who were born to Jacob at Padam Aram. So Jacob returned to his father Isaac in Mamre, which is near Kirath Arba, where Abraham and Isaac had both lived as foreigners. Isaac lived for 180 years, then he breathed his last and died at a ripe old age, joining his ancestors in death, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. Here in chapter 35, in verse 22, we see that the families in the book of Genesis seem to be prone to every kind of human weakness and sin. Deceit and lies are often used for the sake of convenience. Communication between family members is poor. The incidence of incest is high. Here we see that Reuben slept with one of his father's wives. This kind of sexual sin reaps a bitter harvest. Reuben's blessing and inheritance as the firstborn son was forfeited because of his because of the single act of sexual gratification. Reuben needed to keep the long view in focus. If he had thought about what he had stood to lose, he might have withstood the temptation. Chapter 36, Descendants of Esau. This is the account of descendants of Esau. Esau married two young women from Canaan, Ada and daughter of Elon the Hittite, the Ohamibama, the daughter of Anna and granddaughter of Zibion, the Hivite. He also married his cousin Basemeth, who was the daughter of Ishmael and her sister of Neboeth. Ada gave birth to the son named Eliphaz and Esau. Basemeth gave birth to the son named Rael. Ohalibama gave birth to the sons named Josh, Jalam, and Korah. All these sons were born to Esau in the land of Canaan. Esau took his wives, his children, and his entire household along with 
his livestock and cattle, all the wealth he had acquired in the land of Canaan and moved away from his brother Jacob. There was not even enough land to support them both because of all the livestock and possessions they had acquired. So Esau settled in the hill country of Seir. This is the account of Esau's descendants, the Edomites, who lived in the hill country of Seir. Original peoples of Edom. These are the names of the tribes that descended from Seir and Horite. They lived in the land of Edom. So it basically just goes out and um, lists the descendants, which there are many to name. And um, a lot to keep track of. So I'm just going to keep on reading to the next section. Rulers of Adam. When Hadad died, Samla from the country of Meskara became king in his place. When Samla died, Shaul from the city of Rehoboth on the river became king in his place. So it just keeps on listing the descendants and who took reign after each and every one of them. And here, chapter 36. Um, specifically in verses 6 through 8, Esau and his family cannot live in the same area as Jacob and his family. For some families, no amount of room is enough for them to live together. The reconciliation of these brothers was started, but it seems never to have been completed. We need to expect reconciliation to take time. It doesn't happen with one happy reunion. It needs to be worked out over a period of time in the everyday situations of life. So we're on to chapter 37 now. Joseph's dreams. So Jacob settled again in the land of Canaan, where his father had lived as a foreigner. This is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of fathers, of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe, but his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. One night Joseph had a dream and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly, my bundle stood up, and your bundles all gathered around and, uh, and bowed low before mine. His brothers responded, So you think you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. Soon Joseph had another dream, and again he told his brothers about it. Listen, I have had... Another dream, he said. The sun, moon, and eleven stars bowed low before me. 
This time he told the dream to his father as well as to his brothers, but his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that? He asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the crown before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dreams meant. Soon after this, Joseph's brothers went to pasture their father's flock at Shechem. When they had been gone for some time, Jacob said to Joseph, Your brothers are pasturing the sheep at Shechem. Get ready and I will send you to them. I'm ready to go, Joseph replied. Go and see how your brothers and the flock are getting along, Jacob said. Then come back and bring me a report. So Jacob sent him on his way and Joseph traveled to Shechem from their home in the valley of Hebron. When he arrived there, a man from the area noticed him wandering around the countryside. What are you looking for? he asked. I'm looking for my brothers, Joseph replied. Do you know where they are, pasturing their sheep? Yes, the man told him. They have moved on from here, and I heard them say, let's go on to Dothan. So Joseph followed his brothers to Dothan and found them there. Joseph sold them to slavery. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance as he approached. They made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of those cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what happens of his dreams. But when Reuben heard of their scheme, he came to Joseph's rescue. Let's not kill him, he said. Why would we shed any blood? Let's just throw him into his empty cistern here in the wilderness. Then he'll die without our laying a hand on him. Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. Then they grabbed him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. Then just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming toward them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum, balm, and aromatic resin from Gilead down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brother? We'd have to cover up the crime instead of hurting them. Let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traders. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood, and his brothers agreed. So when the Ishmaelites, who were Midianite traders, came by, Joseph's brother, brothers pulled him out of the cistern and sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver, and the traders took him to Egypt. Sometime later, Reuben returned to get Joseph out of the cistern. When he discovered that Joseph was missing, he tore his clothes in grief. Then he went back to his brothers and lamented. The boy is gone. What will I do now? Then the brothers killed the young goat and dipped Joseph's robe in his blood. They sent the beautiful robe to their father with this message. Look at what we found. Doesn't this robe belong to your son? Their father recognized it immediately. Yes, he said. It is my son's robe. A wild animal must have eaten him. Joseph has clearly been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes and dressed him in burlap. He mourned deeply for his son for a long time. His family all tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. 
I will go to my grave mourning for my son, he would say, and then he would weep. Meanwhile, the Midianite traders arrived in Egypt where they sold Joseph to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Potiphar was captain of the palace guard. So here in chapter 37, there's a lot that unfolded. In uh, verse 2, many commentators have noted that nothing bad is ever said about Joseph. That may be true of his adult life, but as a boy, he was irritatingly overconfident. Here we see that he was also a tattletale. Joseph's arrogant behavior as a youth, along with his father's favoritism, planted seeds of hatred in his brother's hearts. Consequently, Joseph suffered years of slavery in Egypt. Joseph was certainly more worthy of praise than his brothers, but he can hardly be given perfect marks. In the following verse, verse 3, the biblical, the biblical account does not hide the fact that Joseph was Jacob's favorite son. Joseph had no choice but to accept the blessing of his distinction, along with its accompanying sufferings. It is interesting to note that the patterns, that the pattern of parental favoritism did not start with the life of Joseph. It had been played out in the life of his father, Jacob, and his grandfather, Isaac, as well. It is never healthy for parents to play favorites among their children. It is a pattern that causes untold suffering many generations down the road. Verses 19 through 20, the terrible impact of jealousy is portrayed in this passage. The brothers were at the point of planning Joseph's murder. They almost followed through on their plan, but cooler heads prevailed. They ended up selling Joseph into slavery and then lying to their father, Jacob. Here we see the tragic cumulative effects of the patterns of deceit and favoritism in his family, in this family, in the family context. All Jacob's life, he had manipulated people and circumstances to serve his own purposes. He was a schemer and a trickster. Here, the trickster was being tricked once again by his sons. Again, we see a destructive family pattern being passed down to the next uh, the next generation. And that does it for our reading for today. I just wanted to quickly go over everything that we read today. So as Jacob... So as Jacob Israel and his family prepared to leave Shechem, he tells his family that they're only going to worship Yahweh and buries all their gods. As they pass through the land, God makes the locals afraid of them. He creates terror in the hearts of those who oppose him in order to protect his people. This is the only place in scripture where this Hebrew word for terror is used. Often when we refer to the fear of God, it carries a connotation of reverence and awe. But this particular word indicates only sheer terror. 
God calls Jacob to settle in Bethel, home of his, of his famous ladder stream. Back when Jacob, back then, Jacob set up a pagan pillar, but he's a new man with a new heart, so he replaces the pillar with an altar. Jacob tears down the old things that dishonor God and puts up new things that honor him and point to him. Then God changes Jacob's name. We've already seen this. So why is this story here? Is it just repeated for emphasis? Possibly. Maybe we're also wondering why God keeps switching back and forth between the names Jacob and Israel, especially after he's changed the name at least once. Some scholars think this is for the sake of clarity, since by the time Genesis was written, the name Israel represented far more than just Jacob. Others say the switching back and forth is a subtle way of indicating the direction of which Jacob, Israel's heart, is focused at the time. Jacob is the old man who looks to himself, but Israel is the new man who looks to God. When they leave Bethel and head to Ephrath, Rachel has a baby, Benjamin, but she dies in labor. Jacob puts a pillar over her tomb, but don't let that pillar alarm you. It's a memorial stone for a human, not a pagan worship site for a false god. Then Jacob goes to see his dad, Isaac, whom he hasn't seen since he tricked them decades ago, and shortly afterward, Isaac dies. Joseph, the firstborn child of Rachel, has been Jacob's pride and joy, which puts him several notches above his brothers. It's no surprise that Joseph and his brothers don't have a great relationship, throwing fuel on the fire. Jacob makes Joseph a fancy robe, and it's up for debate. But the Hebrew word here probably describes a long robe with long sleeves, not a multicolored robe. Then Joseph has a dream about, he has a dream that his brothers worship him. In a move that's uh, either foolish or arrogant, or possibly both, Joseph tells his brothers the dream, and they hate him for it. They hate him even more for it. They conspired to kill him, but his oldest brother, Reuben, pipes up and saves his life. In chapter 35, verse 22, we learn that Reuben slept with one of Jacob's concubines, basically his stepmother, and that Jacob found out about it. Some people believe Reuben is now trying to win back his dad's favor, but others think he just has mercy on Joseph. Joseph's brothers sell him to the Ishmaelites, descendants of Ishmael. They're semi-close blood relatives, but they don't worship Yahweh. They're also called Midianites, another line from Abraham. Since they go since they go by both names, it's likely that there may have been intermarriage or a partnership between the two groups. They buy Joseph a, they buy Joseph and take him south to Egypt and sell him as a slave to Potiphar a high-ranking man under Pharaoh, the Egyptian king. Meanwhile, Joseph's brothers send his robe covered in goat's blood back to Jacob, who is inconsolable. This scene is reminiscent of the time Jacob deceived his father using a stolen cloak and a slaughtered goat 
When Reuben tries to convince the brothers not to kill Joseph, his hope is that he might restore him to his father. Chapter 37, verse 22. Reuben, the older brother, acts on behalf of the one who has gotten himself into big trouble. He saves his life that he saves his life that he might restore him to his father. Jesus, our older brother, acts on behalf of us. And because of his saving actions, our lives are spared that we might be restored to our father. Today, Reuben shows us a picture of Jesus, an imperfect one, for sure. But he points us to the great saving hand of God in a world where we can't save ourselves. Jesus takes action to restore us to the Father, and he's where the joy is. That does it for a reading for today. I just wanted to leave you all off with a daily devotional. Go gently through this day, keeping your eyes on me. I will open up the way before you. As you take steps of trust along your path, sometimes the way before you appears to be blocked. If you focus on the obstacle or search for a way around it, you will probably go off course. Instead, focus on me, the shepherd who is leading you along your life journey. Before you know it, the obstacle will be behind you and you will hardly know how you pass through it. That is the secret of success in my kingdom. Although you remain aware of the visible world around you, your primary awareness is of me. When the road before you looks rocky, you can trust me to get you through the rough patch. My presence enables you to face each day with confidence. Thank you all for listening to the Bible podcast today, and I hope you all have a blessed day. God bless each and every one of you.